Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Green and Mulner Show podcast. We have just done a podcast with the Mirrors Northeast football correspondent, and that is Mr. Simon Burrs. And if you want you to say it like that, this just, just makes it sound a bit better, I suppose. Uh, oh, after okay. I messed up the Carly Telford one when I listened to that one back, that was brilliant. But Sam, if you want an hour's chat of reminiscing about Newcastle United, the good, the bad, the ugly, the extraordinary, oh, this is the yes, podcast for you. Absolutely, man. I mean, <clears throat> we like to we like to mix it up sometimes, and we have some kind of diverse guests on and talk about their lives, careers outside of football or whatever sport they're in. And this one is just for the Newcastle purists, I think. I mean, and then football purists in a way because it he's just got so many stories of, about proper football people and. So many great memories and, and stories to tell. It was just absolutely brilliant. I mean, oh, you'll you'll come to hear it. It's it's just Sir Bobby Benitez. We go in depth on Joe Kinnear about that infamous incident he had with him. Oh yes, please. It's just it's just oh yes. I can't, I cannot big this up enough. I mean, I don't want to big it up too much, but I'm a fan. I like this one I very much. Well, I like them all, but this this one's special. Of course, and he also mentions, obviously, Newcastle's defeat against Manchester United. This has just been filmed three days after that. And Steve Bruce gets a lot of mentions, obviously, the fact that the relationship that the media have, or the Northeast media in particular have, with Steve Bruce, is it a good thing? Is it a bad thing? And he talks about Mike Ashley, of course. Mike Ashley... An unpopular figure at Newcastle, but he had his obituary written for him. That's how close it was for this potential takeover, and that is also a big, big talking point. But a big thanks to our sponsors, Beer 52. Beer 52 are getting ready for Christmas, and they've got some fantastic beers, IPA stouts, and ales up for grabs. If you want to go and have a look, it is www.beer52.com forward slash NFTV. You can get your first sample of eight beers or whatever you'd like just £5.95 which is just the price of packaging but Sam, Johnny what are your favourite two things about Beer 52 go beer the beer and the, the actual branding I actually like the branding of it all it's, it's a bit quirky it's a bit different what's not to like Sam what's not to like but just before we get onto the final bit of this introduction Sam a sneak peek for everybody listening to this podcast what was your particularly favourite moment I mean, since I knew we were having Simon on the show, I've just been chomping at the bit to ask him about that Joe Kinnear incident. I implore you all to go and listen to it because it's absolutely hilarious. I mean, it was 12 years ago now. But when Joe was, you know, cavaliering the use of See You Next Tuesday, I mean, I don't know whether Simon did, in fact, see him the Tuesday after. but. Probably. But I, I dare say um, he was there for a few weeks, wasn't he, with Joe? But, um, yeah, that was it. And some real interesting nuggets about uh, Rafa Benitez as well. That was a big highlight. Um, and some real interesting bits on the takeover and pay-per-view as well. So I, I, I can't pick one. I really can't. Well, there you go. If anyone's put us on the map for you, Mr. Milner really has done by giving you quite a lot there. For you to listen and enjoy too and please if you want to give us a review and give us a rating and if you want any guests on give us a shout newcastle fans tv on twitter facebook instagram keep them realistic i don't want messages saying can you get alan shearer on well obviously we've tried but you know realistic but you know interesting <laughs> <laughs> and please please rate five stars because it doesn't half help. I know we bang on about this, but it is important. Please, please, thank you, please. Five-star review on iTunes. That would be lovely. In terms of guests, you could probably say a quote from, well, Del Boy. He who dares. He who dares. As Sam looks at me with utter disgust. But... Sorry, was I, meant to, was I meant to stop it there? Was that, was that your <laughs> outro? No, that's not. Oh, <laughs> he who that. dares wins and Tim the guests. <laughs> Fair enough. 
Fair enough. Well, if you didn't get that only fools and horses uh, quote, why don't you listen to this instead? It's the Green and Mullen show with Simon Bird. Good evening, everyone. Welcome to the Greenwood and Milner Show here on Newcastle Fans TV. Alongside myself, Jonathan Greenwood, and Sam Milner, of course, we have got a journalist. Well, I think I think a journalist is probably just putting him mildly a northeast legend in terms of journalism. Has to be said, and that is Simon Bird from the Mirror. Simon, welcome to the Greenwood and Milner Show. What, what an amazing introduction. I think le- legend probably means I've been doing it far too long, 20 years. Old so. <laughs> <laughs> Warhorse would probably be a better, a better description. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say, it's 20 years, uh, January coming, isn't it? Uh, January 2001 is when you start with the mirror, is that correct? It is, yeah. It is. Well, December, actually. So it's yes. about Dece- 10th, December the 10th. So, yeah. And uh, when actually Sunderland were on top in the region at that point, um, they were like, I think my, I did a game in that, that January, one of my first ever games. Sunderland was second in the league and played Man United. But, you know, it shows you how things can change in 20 years. Of course. Just a bit. Um, This is a man that you've wanted on for a little while. It is. I mean... He doesn't know anything about Newcastle. Well, this is it. I mean, we're recording this on a Tuesday night and it takes a lot to tear me away from Bake Off on a Tuesday night. (laughs) I mean, if you remember, Johnny, I interviewed Henry Winter during lockdown and uh, Henry said... If he needs to know anything proper about Newcastle United, he has three turns to Luke Edwards, George Colkin, and and the man to our right there. So as endorsements go, Simon, that's a pretty ringing one, isn't it? That's very nice of Henry to say so, and I've shared many a nice screen with him on England under twenty one trips. So it, uh, and I usually get them in. So that's uh, that's that's Henry being generous. I think, yeah, very kind of him. Simon, Newcastle United as always in the news. We're going to start with the current day basically, with all with everything that's going on with Newcastle United. And obviously, Newcastle have just lost 4-1 to Manchester United on Saturday evening. Steve Bruce is getting a lot of questions asked about his tactics and style of play, where a couple of weeks ago we were admiring his, you know, tactical genius of the West Ham game. How have you assessed the start of this season under Steve Bruce? Uh, it's, well, it's like any other season. Every result is magnified at the start of a season. You get a win and wow, it's it's looking good. Everyone's positive for the season. You get a defeat uh, and it's it's all doom and gloom. So at, at, at 85 minutes at that match, no, sorry, after Newcastle scored and took the lead um, against Man U the other day, uh, you know, you looked at the live table and ridiculously they'd, they'd gone second in the, in the league. You know, <laughs> they were actually going to go second if they'd held on to that lead, which which they didn't. Um Obviously, and now the table, it's, it looks like it's probably going to look at the end of the year. How's Steve Bruce doing? How's the team doing? Uh, I mean, I'm very aware of what, what a lot of the fans think about how Steve Bruce is doing. Um, I think he's doing OK. I think you can genuinely ask the question, is he getting enough out of the attacking lineup that Newcastle have got? Newcastle have genuinely got probably a, a decent front two, three um, now. Uh, two or three good players there. Can, can the style of play be more adventurous? I think it probably could. Against Man U, though, you have to say they did have they did, they did score, took the lead. Um, they probably scored too early. They scored 70th minute. They might have seen it out. Um, and they also had Callum Wilson's chance that was saved by De Gea very well. Um, Sam Maxim hit the bar as well. So, you know, they had three, three good chances against Man U. So it wasn't all totally negative. And I was a little bit surprised by how negative the, the reaction was to the performance. However, they did score. You know, league four, three goals in the last, well, from the 86 minutes. So, yeah, everything's magnified at the start of the season. Um, but I do think Steve Bruce has got a lot, a lot to prove in, in terms of can he evolve Newcastle? He's had a year now. Can he evolve them, the club into a more front foot team where they can dominate the ball, where fans can watch it and go, oh, we've got the ball, we're knocking it round, we're enjoying this. Look at that pass from Shelby, look at that run from Almiron. That's the kind of football Newcastle fans want to see instead of kind of muddling by in the last year where they had a few lucky results around sort of November, December time last year where, you know, Sheffield United, for instance, when they won away from home and various games like that where they squeezed three points where they they probably shouldn't have. And they muddled through a bit and I'd like to see more of a style and more of a system developing. And, you know, it's early in the season, but by Christmas, January time, you, you probably want to see that. However, there is a bright spot, isn't there? The the, the, Car- uh, the Carabao Cup, um, which we're going to almost get excited about, almost. 
Of Not almost, quite. of course. <laughs> Sam, your biggest bugbear about Steve Bruce is the way he plays football for Newcastle in terms of how he gets a team going. And what, what's your biggest bugbear about it, sir, Sam? Well, the thing is, it, it, it's not. It's more about the formations he plays. I mean, to me, I'm not a football manager. I have no coaching badges. I'm just a fan like everyone else watching this, really. It, our, the squad we have just seems to scream 4-2-3-1 with Wilson up top and you've got Almiron, Fraser and uh, St Maximum to play in behind. That's an exciting front four. The most exciting we've had in years now. Um and Bruce seems to be at the moment regurgitating same excuses after same excuse. How do you go about reporting that, Simon? Because obviously, you and the likes of Lee Ryder, Mark Douglas, George Colkin, all the other Northeast lads, they see what we see. They they they're starting to report what we've been saying over the past few weeks yeah. now as fans. How do you find that balance? Because I noticed the other week before the Burnley game, Steve Bruce was kind of biting back a bit. Yeah, he did. He's, he's, I mean, we, you've got to realise that we've known him since he was Sunderland manager. So he's probably the one manager who, of all managers in the last 20 years, that he's been part of our like, lives or working lives for, he's been at Newcastle, what, a year and a bit now, um, and at Sunderland for, for several years. So, you know, we've, we've known him quite a lot in, in various different times. Um, and I mean, we report, the best reporters report what they see and they report... They report fairly, and they're not scared. They're not afraid because of relationships to say um, when it's going badly. And you've got to you've got to do that as a reporter. You can't um, mince around it and, and pretend because Steve Bruce is accessible. He's a fight. He's a nice man. He's I've say he's one of the most humane people in football that you'll meet. He's a he's a proper man manager, and I think that's his big strength. In his big strength, he was at Sunderland. He's arm around the shoulder um, with his players, and they all they all sort of like him in that way. So you, you, that's that's Steve Bruce's big strength. He gets very, he does get, he does get defensive when um, you throw him. Like, where, where's the system? What's your plan? Have you are you tactically aware enough? And it's kind of, um, I mean, that, that's a, it's a valid question because you're seeing what we see, um, and I want to know what the plan is and what is his best team and can he mould that best team in five for five games, play it consistently and make it work. Um, well, so that's the one thing he, he is prickly about, and he did bite back um, when when he was. Is it? Is one or two journalists here? He, he likes. He, he has a pop at. Um, I'm not going to name them um, because of the coverage he's had, and, and they've been critical, um, and sometimes they've been fairly critical, and sometimes it, they might not have been. It might gone. It might have gone a little bit personal. He thinks, um, but I think the way we report it is is that you say what you see. If it's been a bad performance, you've got to say it. You've got to give them low marks in your ratings. Um, and when there's a relationship... And Steve Bruce, is, he's kind of been in the game so long, he'll accept quite a high level of criticism before he bites back. Um, and he knows that we have a job to do to reflect um, the fans' gripes, because we've got to do that as well, as reporting what Steve Bruce thinks about what he's doing and what his... And, and, he, and when we say, have you got a plan? He says he, he wants to get the, um, the club playing on, a, on the front foot. He wants attacking wingers, bombing down the side, crosses coming in for Wilson. So he's not like out of touch in terms of what he wants to do and what the fans want to see. It's just whether he can actually deliver it. And the well, one thing is you see a lot of coaches these days and who look a bit more modern or feel a bit more modern than... Um, and Steve Bruce just because they're new and they're fresh. And so you, you take the first game of the season, was it Brighton at home? Brighton won and they had a, a we, we thought, well, like, what a what a modern club this is. You know, Dan Ashworth's the director of foot, uh, football from the FA. He knows everything about the young players in Britain. And their formation, Brighton, was wonderful. Um, finding spaces in front of the back four. And they beat Newcastle. Thought, well, they, they must be much better than Newcastle now. And then look at what's happened to Brighton. They've, they've, been, they've been rubbish. So you you can't you can't kind of judge clubs like that. It's generally the performance is reflected on the budget and how much they're paying players' wages. Yeah, this is the thing, though, because he he obviously seems like a real amiable guy. And I think one of the highlights. I know me and Johnny loved this last season, and I know loads of other fans would have loved it. Was that press conference after the West Brom game? Uh, in the FA Cup last season, where we were, again won't name names, but um, we all hopefully know who we're referring to. Uh, yeah. um, that he, he back, uh, bit back and showed a bit of fight and grit, and but then this season you have one good performance and then you you slip again, and it just you stick with the same team out of 
blind loyalty and it just doesn't work. That Brighton game was a, a shining example of that, wasn't it? Yeah. No, exactly. Um, and, I mean, Craig, Craig Culp's a great journalist. You know, he, he, and he was the one who got, got, uh, got dug out. I wasn't going to name names. Yeah, I mean, Craig's fine with that. You know, he, I mean, and, he's, and he's, he asks tough questions, and, and we all do. And sometimes, you know, um, you know, you'll have a go back and sometimes, I mean, he fell at me when, Brucey fell out at me when, when at Sunderland, when I'd reported on the Beatles at Sunderland pre-season training camp um, and had loads of access and he was really great and we, we got fitness tested and body fat tested, which wasn't pleasant and all that kind of stuff. Um, and he opened the doors for us and he had lunch with us. It was really nice, you know, and then, you know, they lost or they did badly in their first three games and uh, I think there were, it was the Seagulls, the Eagle, Crystal Palace, the Eagles, and the Magpies was next. Um, so they did a bird, you know, Hitchcock, the birds kind of um, montage in the mirror to say Bruce is under pressure, and it, and kind of that 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 was that was me in the bad books for a bit. So everyone everyone falls out of managers now and then when you've you've got a report, and sometimes your your desks um, or the people in London who lay the pages out and um, make hay with it and, and do funny montages. So yeah, I mean it's it's one of those things and I, and I don't think it's that I think fans have got an image of it being quite chummy with Steve Bruce um, and that we don't ask the questions and we don't say but Steve you know you, you should have picked Almir on or you that was a defensive performance what were you playing we do ask that every week um, and if you and if they because we have a separate bit from from Sky TV so what you see on the club website is Sky TV and the radios and the TV and the, and the TV people asking their questions and then we all cameras are off and we have a Kind of cosier chat with him, so which isn't broadcast, and he and he answers all those questions, you know, the best he can. So, and those questions are put like regularly every week. It's just that we don't just write about that every week. We have a different line or a different player to focus on. Of course, I, I think as well with Steve Bruce, he's had a lot to deal with in the say nearly eighteen months he's been at the job. Uh, Simon, the takeover talk dominated lockdown. It's probably dominated most of two thousand twenty, for being brutally honest. There was a lot of negativity, obviously, towards the end. Where are we now? Is this takeover completely dead, Simon? Because you hear the slightest reports going, oh, by the way, it's maybe there's, there's some rumours going around that Mike Ashley's very confident that he's got a good case to answer. Where are we now with this takeover? Uh, well, I think it's fairly clear Mike Ashley wants to wants to sell to Staveley, stroke the Saudis. Um, and he's not said the deal's dead. Um I think they're going to have to get their legal thing, um, sort of legal guns lined up, and get their case ready. And if they have a case to present it to the Premier League, um, you know the Saudis walked away, but only because they were losing face and it wasn't going to get through. So it, it does look like you know that it may well, it may still be on the table. But then, you know, if they agreed a price back in November, January time last year of three hundred and forty million. And coronavirus is absolutely shredding club accounts everywhere. You know, not having fans in is costing Newcastle 24 million quid in income this year if, if it doesn't happen by the end of the season um, or March. Calendar year, March, you can see. So 24 million gone, the TV rebates. So they're, they're, they might have to revisit the price, you know, they might have if they're going to get the deal done. But as was reported at the time ad nauseum, you know, the biggest problem was, um, you know, it was a Saudi state investment fund. Um, they wouldn't really admit it was the state money when it, it blatantly obviously was state money <laughs> buying Newcastle. Um, and once they admitted it was the state money buying it, um, there was the question of would the state be controlling it? And then you could bring in the piracy arguments, etc. All that, we never even got to that kind of thing, being that those issues being tested through the Premier League process. And it looks like Mike Ashley might, might be trying to sort of test that in, in the courts somehow. Court of Arbitration for Sport, what, whatever legal avenues they can find. He seems to have hired the, the top, uh, some of the top lawyers he can to to try and get it going through. So that's why that's why people would say, well, you know, maybe it's still it's still hanging there, but it's not hanging there for next week. It's not hanging there for next month. It, you know, this could be if the Saudis want it, and it is a, it's a gem of a club to buy with massive untapped potential. Um, with even 100 million injected, you could you could be pushing up there with a reinvigorated fan base and you know all, all the benefits that we all know about that, it, that a takeover would, would bring of, of, from a wealthy wealthy um, backer anyway um, it is a gem of a club to take over I mean which other if you're if you're a if we were billionaires I mean what would you do you look at the Premier League and you would have a city behind you you'd have a fan base behind you it would be it'd be mega they, I'm surprised there's been not been more interest because Newcastle 
you know, before the coronavirus pan, you know, the, the chaos with the finances, it was worth 300 million. Easy. You know, if you, you could make it, it was 600 million clubs, double your money anytime, you know, just with a bit of care and attention. So, yeah, it's hanging there, but it's not like, you know, don't be holding your breath. You know, this, this could, t- it could take months. And if, if they really want it, and it's, there's no better club for them to buy, the Saudis, <laughs> they really want it, they should be hanging around for that price. Um, do, do you think, because we've had three years now where around the same time of year these takeover stories have come out. So from a, a, a journalistic point of view with the world of social media, what it is, when you get wind of it and you know you have to start reporting on it, do you think, oh, Christ, not again? I'm going to get so much shit on Twitter about this. Or is it just... <laughs> well, there were two, two, three or four, maybe. I don't know how many it was. But uh, it was like around about this time of year where Ashley would put out a statement or it would be leaked or whatever. They, they, oh, it's up for sale and this is the price. And But th- this one was different. This one was like, you know, this is well, this is proper money. This is like a, a sovereign wealth fund taking the place over. Uh, that's why the excitement was happening. Um, and the interest was there because it was tran- it would be transformational. Steve Bruce has said that on the record. Um, and he's probably the only one from the club who's spoken on the record about it. But it was a, a, a genuine chance transforming the place. So, um the, yeah, but the other the other takeover rumours where there was nothing really concrete and it, it was a consortium from China and you're thinking, yeah, well, come on, some people from China have been, Far East have been flown in to look around the training ground and all that got a bit tedious. But, you know, when the, when the New York Times um, on that Saturday morning, and is it January time, late January, broke a story and said this is, you know, it's a, it's a Saudi wealth fund, you, you, you thought, oh, this is, this is real, this is big <laughs> and controversial. Yeah, I think I think any takeover re- regarding Newcastle United is going to be controversial to say the least. But it's certainly something to keep an eye on in the well, not too distant future, I suppose. Um, I looked at obviously in your Daily Mirror. I looked on the website and it obviously had your little profile. Now I don't know if it's been updated recently, Simon, but it said so many managers and only one trophy when you've been covering Newcastle, some of the Middlesbrough, and obviously that's yeah. the, the League Cup for Middlesbrough in two thousand and four. Do you do you know how many managers? I've got the number, but how many permanent managers do you think that you've covered in the northeast since uh, you started for the Mirror? It must be heading to thirty six, seven ish. I think it says thirty four. It says thirty four on the website. But I think I think, I think possibly yeah. I think it's more than that now. I think I think that was written maybe a year ago. I think probably Steve Bruce is new and Neil Warnock's new, <laughs> and Jonathan Woodgate even. So you know, and then the, the, the how many managers Sunderland have had in the last. Oh, Parkinson, etc. So it, it might well be heading towards forty managers now. So yeah, it might, uh, it's it's crazy. And when you when I first took the job, um, it was it was sort of uh, December two thousand, I think, and it was when Bobby was in charge. And I think the club had only finished eleventh twice and then thirteenth twice. But then, so I had six months of club in a club that was thirteenth, and no one was really that interested. But then that that summer. It was was when it got exciting, um, and they signed Robert Bellamy. Shearer got fit from an injury, and even in pre-season, those first few games, you thought, "Oh wow, there's something happening here." You know, Bellamy had the legs of Shearer didn't at that point. Shearer had the strength and goals finishing prowess still, um, and Laurent Robert looked dynamite, and he was emerging as a fantastic signing for ten million. So that's when it got exciting. We thought oh, this is going to last forever, you know. Like, then they got they finished fourth, fourth in the league, a brilliant Champions League. Well, this is this is this is a great job, you know. We're going places here. Finally, going to see them win a trophy, um, and then that didn't quite. Champions League run was brilliant in 03, Milan, you know, into Milan. All that, all that stuff was just mega. It was just the best year ever. Bobby in charge. Bobby giving quotes on everything in world football, not just Newcastle. Page <laughs> every day. Probably two back pages a week, probably at that at that point, um, and then they finished third the next year. Brilliant! This is building again, um, and then fifth. So I mean, the, the, the first those first three years, it was just like fantastic. And we had some of them were doing um, half decent at that point as well. I think they finished seventh in my first year. And Middlesbrough in 04, Middlesbrough obviously got the trophy. Um, and I've, I mean, I, I love Newcastle. And I watched Newcastle from when I was a kid, and I've never. I always had a little affinity with with Borough because I covered them when I was on the journal and did little Saturday matches for them when I was a news reporter. Um, and I've never been that nervous for the last 20 minutes as I have watching Borough, wanting to see them win something. And it was only Borough. And I, I, I think I'd have to leave the stadium if it was Newcastle. <laughs> one it would be so stressful knowing they were that close. And I, I mean, that's the closest they've got. I mean, 
you know, UEFA Cup semi final in 04 or 05, again, when took them apart in Marseille. Um, that was pretty close. Never really was the FA Cup semi final I covered. Man U at Cardiff when they lost 4 0. That wasn't really a close game. 4 1. Shola got a consolation. Yeah. I'm like, <laughs> oh, so, yeah, they got kind of close, but not. Oh, and the, the, the most frustrating one, I think this probably goes for a lot of the players as well of, of that era. Was when they were, I think they were comprehensively up against, um, what was it, Coruña? Um, in the, it was oh, a quarter This, but yeah, that's the Deportivo, yeah. yeah. And it was the quarter final. And then I think Dyer and Bramble got hamstring injuries and then it collapsed in the second half. And they would have had some two Moscow teams in the semi final to get to the UEFA Cup final. Uh, or you, yeah, you have to come. Yeah. So that was there. Uh, they were they were amazing like days and that and then like kind of the last ten years like like for fans you know for journalists as well it's been really like oh come on you know I can't I can distinguish I, I remember all those years of my first few years of reporting on Newcastle but like probably that Pardew fifth season is the only one that stands out in the last twelve <laughs> I couldn't I couldn't tell you where they finished in the last. 12 years and apart from that one year it's just been well the two relegations uh, for, for bad reasons um, so it's all been a bit of a mishmash and a, you know just drudgery and it, but we still report on it and we still live in hope <laughs> of course of course it was 39 was the answer by the 39, way wow. 39 Newcastle Sunderland and Middlesbrough all Great combined stuff. Sunderland having the most and yeah. Middlesbrough having the least but to Steve yeah. Gibson that doesn't doesn't get rid of managers until it, until it's very necessary, it has to be said. Yeah. But yeah. going back on to Newcastle, and you talked about Saboy Robson there. Obviously, as a reporter coming in, what did you learn from Saboy Robson in terms of, you know, everything that he was saying? Was it just gold dust, Simon, or did you it have was. to kind of, or did you just have to kind of almost sit back and go, wow, he's given me so much here? Yeah, and it wasn't all plain sailing with Bobby because you know he realised even when they finished fifth, he was getting he was getting a bit of flack for for only finishing fifth, you know. Um, but yeah, what I think what I learned from him was, uh, and there's not many people in football who you say this about, but his generosity with his time, and even if you if you'd written a story which is critical or about a player who wanted to leave that they didn't want out, um, or Nobby Solano passport fiasco which the mirror did at the time, which didn't please him, um, he just he didn't hold grudges, and he would it would be like brushed under the carpet the next time you saw him in a press conference, ask him what you want, and he look you in the eye. And he'd be off chatting, and because he just loved, I think he just loved the job so much, and he had so much experience, and he was so confident in himself and the job he was doing. And he was back home at Newcastle. Um, he was just, he was just a generous man with his, with with his thoughts and his time, and he just loved the whole thing. And when we went abroad with him, he he would know people in Italy, Germany, the people would pull him aside, and he'd remember them from tournaments years ago. And he had a, he must have had an incredible contacts book as well. But I think the, the like I said about Steve Bruce, the humanity of Bobby Robson was was wonderful. He was a he was a real people person, um, and you know that's why people love players loved playing for him. I think um, he was just he was funny. He forgot names and all that kind of stuff, which people <laughs> laughed at. But he was he was literally was not a stupid man. He was he was one of the brightest guys you you you'd have in football. And those those days were really great. And it was dead dead sad when he went. You know, it really was. Of course, and. Going on from one of the greats, I have we have to talk about this. Is, this is one story that I think Sam wanted to touch about more. Let him answer about it. I think you know what's coming if we have to be brutal, well, Simon. But obviously, in the start of two thousand eight, two thousand nine season, um, Kevin Keegan obviously left as manager, yeah. resigned, of course, and after a couple of games with Chris Hutton, it was uh, the one and only joking. Yeah, I actually remember being told that at school, and I actually <laughs> thought it was joking you, like joking you. Like, yeah, not even yeah. how the teacher said it. It was it, some of the teachers said joking, and one of them said, No, no, it's actually a real person. He managed to manage Wimbledon, but yeah, you Sam... wake up thinking it was 1994. Exactly. I mean, that was absolutely crazy. I mean, since you agreed to come on with us, Simon, I have been yeah. desperately wanting to ask you about this because right. joking is first press conference, was it? You'd written a piece, and I think one of your colleagues had written a piece, which he didn't take too kindly of. and for those that don't know, I mean, it's on YouTube still for all to see. Well, yeah. listen, but um, just explain what happened and, and what was going through your head at the time and just everything about it, because it was you'll never probably hear anything of the sort ever again. No, no it will be censored, I think. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> 
it was a strange one because I'd been on holiday the week before and it was the Friday he was given the job. Um, and obviously that was like, oh, joking here, Jesus, that's that's amazing. And everyone's reaction was the same, I think, from from players and journalists and everything. Because he'd been out of the game so long, not not because he hadn't hadn't had a, an amazing career. He'd done brilliant things elsewhere. Um, but it, yeah, so so I think he had a press, Newcastle played on the Saturday. I can't remember the results. But we had seen him after the game on the Saturday and he did a mini press conference just chatting with us informally. Um, and then... So his first, so that was his first job. He was in the stands, not really in charge of the team on that Saturday. Um, so then the players had their usual rest on Sunday, and then Monday, we, you know, they, they weren't in. So obviously he's getting another place. That's fine. Um, and then the ten on the Tuesday, they were, they also weren't in. So we were getting to the point where he'd only been given the job for six weeks initially. So that was his, his got a six week contract just to see what happens. So that so we're thinking he's given them like three days off. He's, he's like any any new manager usually comes in and says, right, you're all in on Sunday. I'm going to organise you. Blah blah. Do and it was the opposite of what most managers would would do. So by by the time this happened on Tuesday, we were thinking, what's what's going on here? So we did a I did a story and two of the three other papers did it as well, saying jokingly, let's give them another day off. What the, what the hell's going on? This is a weird start to a managerial reign. And I think my headline wasn't. I mean, I don't write the headlines, but. It was hello, hello. My, my name's Joe Kinnear. Oh, there's nobody here, and I think that was, <laughs> a, um, was that kind of implying that no one had turned up. It was a bit of a naughty headline, I admit that. Um, but my cop, copy was all fine, like, like all journalists say. <laughs> um, and then, so I got to the Friday press conference, and we were all sitting in the little room. I don't know if you've been at uh, the training ground, the little interview room, which we still use. And he did all the radios and the TV outside. And we got wind that, like, oh, he's not happy. He's got some cuttings in his hand. He's a bit fuming. He's telling everyone he's going to dish it out to you all. So we were, we were, the thing is, we were sort of ready for it. We're thinking, right, if he has a go here, we'll have a little nibble back and we'll see what happens. <laughs> so he came in um, and it was just in those days where digital um, tape recorders had been invented. So you could, you could transfer files and all that kind of stuff. And, you know, it's easy to do now, but... Um, and he just walked in the room, sat down, and, and his first, his, literally his first words of his first official pre-match press comments were, which one of you is Simon Bird? Me. Uh, you're a C-word. And then uh, I didn't know what I said. So I was kind of ready for him. So I, I thought, I'll take this politely. And I said, well, thank you. Thank you. We're trying to use Niall Hickman from the Daily Express. Niall, very good journalist now doing lecturing um, in the Midlands. Uh, and he went to meet me, and then it deteriorated from there. You know, he, um, I think we once we'd got the tape back that day, um, he'd swore every six seconds for the first five minutes of the interview, and we counted them. We did a swear word count, and um, so it was interesting. So the first six minutes were ferocious, and he was shaking, his hand was shaking, and he was having a great go, and he was saying, "Are you my effing personal secretary? And why have I got to answer to you? And your slimy b word." Okay, and it's on YouTube. You can have a listen. Um, and one, and the, one of the funny things was that when it quietened down, Steve Brenner, who was working for the Sun at the time, um, did that typical question where it went a bit quiet. And he went, "Any knocks, Joe?" <laughs> <laughs> he really diffused it. <laughs> and then, um, and then, uh, what happened? There? Oh, the, the, the press officer at the time, who's is not there anymore, said, uh, "This is all off the record, lads." You know, and we were thinking. <laughs> Right. You know, probably would be, but then Michael Walker, who's a, a superb journalist up here, said, "Well, what does Joe think?" And Joe went, "F in print it, F in print it. Yeah, I don't, I don't care. You can say what you, want. you can write what you want, print it." So we went, "All right, then we will." <laughs> so usually, I mean, he took people out probably worse than that when he was Wimbledon manager, and and other managers have as well. I've heard Bob Bobby having a. Like strip and tearing some off a strip in in before before the Valerenga game in the UEFA Cup, absolutely slaughtering him in the team hotel. But it, it was off the record and it was it wasn't recorded. But Joe Kinnear said, "F imprint it." So so we did um, a little discussion and then we did uh, the, the, in the famous back page we did it was I used to have it on my wall somewhere, but um, not anymore. Um, Joe the volcano. So they they had him erupting out of a, his head erupting out of a volcano, which, you know, plastic <laughs> mirror back page style. Um, yeah, and it was. I mean, I'm just relieved Twitter wasn't around at that point because, I mean, I would have been absolutely slaughtered probably on Twitter for it. And I and I got a lot of emails 
over that weekend saying we're going to find your house and put a brick through the window and that from fans who are staying loyal. Um, but then, uh, but then it settled down. And How are you staying loyal to Joe Kinnear? What? Well, no, that, no, that's what happened. No, really. The, the next game, so that on the Sunday they played Everton away. I think they might have drawn two each. Um, and the fans are chanting his name. You know that like, we've got Joe Kinnear, and, and and they actually rode in right behind. <laughs> it seems funny at the time, but actually they actually rode right in behind Joe to try and get behind him. And I think the whole thing was was basically put up by. The hierarchy of the club, the mirror had very much taken um, Keegan and McDermott's side when Keegan had left and said, you know, and I've done a back page not so long before that saying, you know, Keegan's legal case is watertight, here it is, and he's going to win it. And they, and they obviously they didn't like that. And um, I think it was probably put up to it by the chief exec at the time, who I later got on pretty well with. But uh, yeah, it's all part of football, isn't it? <laughs> and yeah, many people have been sworn at by Joe Kinnear. But I, I did feel, I felt a bit sorry for him at, at the time because um, he was clearly thrust into a job which kind of wasn't ready for or hadn't been prepared properly for, which wasn't his fault. And he, he just backing himself to do it. Um, but, you, but the Joe Kinnear of five, eight years before that was absolutely brilliant. You know, he, he, was, a, he was a total legend with Wimbledon fans. He took a club from nowhere doing amazing things um, in the kind of old school style of football management where, you know, you, you pin people against the dressing room wall and swore at them lots and ruled by fear a little bit, you know. So, you know, I think Joe Kinnear, you, you can't just mock him. You can't just say he's a figure of fun and derision, which he became at Newcastle when he became director of football um, and called Kabai Kebab and um, Derek Lambezi and what was the other one? I was in Somnia and going to Birmingham to watch Shane Ferguson. That's right. That's right. Yeah, it was all uh, it all got a bit silly. But you know, yeah, I, I sort of kind of felt a bit sorry for him that he shouldn't be ridiculed because he's a serious manager who's achieved more than I I ever would in football or any of us really. So yeah. Well, just I, I listened to it back on YouTube this afternoon just because I knew we were speaking to you today, and I'm it's just so bloody brilliant like 12 years on we can look at it and whatnot and yeah. the thing is as well my fantasy football team is still called not fucking here <laughs> because of that thing and the thing is with with joe he said in that press conference you spoke to a load of people that um that don't like me and whatever you haven't spoken to such and such such and such and he said warren barton yeah we had warren barton on this show and we asked yeah. him about joking here as coincidence would have it and um, Warren said, "Perfect for perfect for Wimbledon. Should never have been anywhere near Newcastle." Yeah, yeah. So that's that sums it up. Yeah, that's that, that's perfect quote. Yeah, Warren's a clever man, and he's right there. He is. And it took everyone by surprise, and uh, it kind of settled down. And and you could see you could see him. I mean, he had a few months, didn't he? He kind of got to was it December or January time when he and he had a bad turn, and then Hutton took over again. Um, so that was quite unfortunate for him. Um, but you know, he had a few. Fat, you know, I think his son um, had cancer after that as well, and was ill when he was at the club. And so there's, you know, there's a there's a story behind all that. And you know, he should, yeah, he's a former Newcastle manager, and we shouldn't be. Uh, it wasn't his fault that he got the job. You know, he was. You know, he was made yeah, to make that job. You take it, don't you? At the yeah, end of the exactly. day, yeah, exactly. So and he, and probably Mike Ashley trusted him. You know, he he if he if he drunk with Mike Ashley a few times, a gregarious man were led to believe. Then, and he taught football. Joe Kinnear must must be quite intoxicating to 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 hear his stories and what he's done and achieved. And you know, I'll stick him in charge. You know, so I, I don't think, know. I think that's the thing, though. You're talking about Mike Ashley. Now you've talked about obviously Simon the fact that it was wonderful for the first few years, and then. Obviously, the last 12, nearly 13 years, well, for over 13 years now that Mike Ashley's been in charge, it obviously has been very different bar that 11-12 season under Pardew. Yeah. What are your thoughts on this Mike Ashley era? Now, we, we almost thought it was coming to an end. And then it almost seemed like journalists were writing obligatories, if I can say it right, sorry, about that actual era. Yeah. Now, if you, ha if you, had, to, if you had to kind of, assess it all say Mike Ashley was to leave tomorrow how would you describe it as best you could well I, I have I actually got a Mike Ashley obituary as in him leaving Newcastle prepared <laughs> and it was all ready to go. it was all ready to go it was all and, and you know it's, um, I think the intro was something about I think he'd given it was the last interview he did with Sky he gave himself 
was it two out of ten or three out of yeah. ten as a manager? Um, and that's about that's about right as, as, a, as an owner. That's probably about right. Um, I mean, there were there were some things which you tried to do. I think they came in and they were shocked by the way football did business. And I, I know, know this because I spoke a lot lots to Lambias when he was in charge. Um, and they couldn't believe that uh, when someone signed for the club, the agent got agent's fee was fourteen percent of the entire contract. And they would say, well, this is just a waste of money. It's ridiculous. And fans would agree with that, you know, mm-hmm. 14% on a contract worth 20 million is ridiculous money to be paying an agent over five years. And they said, right, we're going to squeeze that to three or 4%. So, you know, bollocks of the agents. We're going to, we're going to do that. We're going to turn this around. And then obviously they did the thing where, um, you know, the, the, the big transfer fees were, were over because at that, you know, Man City, Chelsea, you couldn't, he couldn't compete. He thought he could put 10 million in a year, subsidize it by 10 million, and it would be okay and they'd do all right. And then suddenly the whole world of football changes. Man City gets bought out. It, the, everyone's blown out the water. Football inflation rockets. And Mike Ashley, within a year or two, realizes he can't, can't compete with those guys. He hasn't got the money. You know, he, well, he has got the money, but it's tied up elsewhere in shares for Sports Direct and all the high street businesses. So, so then he decides to, he's going to have to do something more clever. So Graham Carr, France, there's a bargain market there. So that was a good that was a good thing to do. So you could say that that was a, a good thing to do to an extent. Um, and they got a lot of great um, bar and Kabai and all the Cisse, great, fantastic buys, got them fifth in the league. Brilliant. Now, that is good management. And I think at the time Pardew had his moment in his managerial career where he was right on top of his game. He suited the club. He could pull together fans. He could pull Mag Ashley could keep him happy. He could deal with Lambayas, and and it all came together in like that season and a half where they kind of did did really really well, and they converted pretty much every chance they made. I think um, at the end of that season, um, so that was good. You know that was okay. And then, but then obviously, I think when they qualified for for the European Europa League, wasn't it? That time? Yeah, yeah. Um, that was like. A disaster because you don't make any money. You make three or four million if you're lucky out the Europa League. Uh, he wanted the Champions League or nothing. So he wasn't like we were like we're in Europe again. This is great, and probably the fans were as well. And Kharkiv and um, Lisbon and all that kind of stuff, um, which is what football football is all about for fans: like adventures and trips and seeing your team play someone you've never heard of and all that kind of thing. That's it's, it's what it's about. But like that that kind of romance is lost on a on Ashley, who won the Champions League for the 20, 30 million guarantees or nothing. So you, th- you start to think, well, there's no romance in this now, if that's his attitude. And then the cup thing happened and then renaming St. James's, you know, that, you know, let's not try in the cups and let's rename St. James's Park, the sports director arena. You can see where he was coming from because other clubs have got, uh, you know, he wanted to make money. He wanted to make another 10 million if he could for the club's coffers, not for himself, but for the club. Can we rename St. James's and call it the I don't know, the Eon St. James's, whatever. And it, no one bought it because it became so toxic because they renamed it the Sports Direct to showcase it. Um, but no, so there was kind of half method in the madness, <laughs> but it, ne- it was never quite executed well enough or right or, or right or, or, or handled or the PR of it handled well enough because they just went, we're doing this. You know, I don't care if anyone dislikes it. There was no attempted explanation or... Uh, not really anyway, or to soften it or to consult fans or to take people on the journey with, with what he was trying to do. And there was a little bit of sense in that. So, and then you get to the relegation where it all went, you know, treated Shearer really shabbily, um, you know, really badly. And, uh, you know, you give it, to give him eight games and ignore him at the end of the season. And everyone was like, we're texting him saying, what's happening? Do you know anything? Even heard nothing. And it was, it was, it was, it was really, really shoddy. Um, but then you get Hewton back in charge, don't you? And that was a good appointment, quietened everything down. Uh, and like you know, Newcastle as a club with a fifty-two thousand fan base every week and a bigger fan base shouldn't be getting relegated. They should be clever enough with their money not to not to get relegated. And that's really damaged the club. And those two relegations you set, set you back like you know hundreds of millions really in income and prestige and rebuild, selling a squad and rebuilding it. You know, you, you're starting from scratch almost again, having having fought fires for a year. Um, so, yeah, it, there was a bit of method bit of method in his madness, but generally it's, it's you know, it's not really worked and they've not, they've not took, taken fans along on the, the valid things they try to do. They've not really 
bothered taking fans with them. And I think another way, I think with Stavely or that lot of the Saudis came in, I think their PR would be almost too good <laughs> to believe. And um, they would be really, really good at it. And they would, they would have fans liaison and people and they would consult everyone. And they, the, the people, it would be a loving, it would be absolutely loving, which would be nice to, nice to see. And um, But they didn't realise a bit of that was needed and a bit of tender loving care was needed with, with the fan base. And a lot, and it just became open conflict, didn't it? And it remains so um, today. Yeah, it, it's very much a, it's just a mess. And I, I think obviously with season ticket money and obviously sure. the paper, the paper, the paper view. I think I think it's probably a perfect time to mention the Premier League. I'm yeah. kind of blaming the broadcasters. The broadcasters are kind of blaming the Premier League. It's just it's it's just very very, not nasty, it is. not nasty, but it's just not good, is it? It's not good. I mean, I did I did my column in the Sunday Mirror today about you know th- those exact two issues. You know, you, you've got the club on the the clubs on the take um, in two ways: pay per view, fifteen quid a game, and five, five a game. Fair enough. Four quid a game. Get get the masses in, and you you pay the price of a pint to watch the game. You know, fine. I, I don't kind of just so it's accessible. I, I don't mind that. It's just the price point of fifteen quid is ridiculous. Um, and, new, and a lot of other fans have rejected it as well, not just Newcastle fans. And then you've got the season ticket issue, which is a, is a scandal. I mean, my brother's a season ticket holder. He's been paying for this year since, since probably March time, was it? And on the, long term, on the long-term deal. And how can, how can in this point where there's uncertainty about jobs, um, people are, are having pay cuts during the pandemic, uh, you're not seeing any matches, and they're still taking 40, 50, 100 quid a month out of you for the season tickets that families are paying for. It's really shoddy and they need to sort that out like, and get the refunds and get every penny back to the fans quickly because they're going to be paying off the, paying back the DB companies. They should have re- rectified that a long time ago, especially uh, it's a terrible look when you're shoveling money into the players, the new contracts for players, Hayden, Shelby, Sam Max, on millions, millions of pounds, you know, and it would only take probably one month of the wage bill to, to refund all the, all the Newcastle all Newcastle fans, so that's got to be rectified yesterday for for the fans. It's terrible, um, yeah. And the the clubs and you know they're on the take all the time, aren't they? And and um, and then you and then the, you know you see how Newcastle fans react to that, and it's amazing what what they did at the weekend. Twenty thousand pounds donated to the food bank. I think Burnley have done this, done a similar similar sum. Um, just you see what football fans can be and the good that can be harnessed from football and football fans and their generosity and their collective spirit, which is just alien to some of the stuff the clubs put out these days. Um, and it's an absolute lesson to, to the Premier League and, and to, to Newcastle and to, to clubs to, to start recognising what you've got there as a community and use it for, for good. And it takes the fan initiative, fan-led initiative to raise 20, 20 grand and you know, five grand a match they collect outside of St. James is the food bank people. And it's astonishing. And it's, it's generosity, which I'd like this. People should be appreciating. And, you know, if you're Mike Ashley, put a statement out and say, that's brilliant. I'm going to match it. You know, there's so much, there's so much giving and so much goodwill to harness um, from the club, you know, I don't know why the players don't have a whip round and say twenty grand. We'll match it. You know, if, that, if you're in the dressing room and you're thinking about who you're representing in the town and the community, and you see fans forking out, and you just all had a rise because you've all got a new contract, you say let's 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 give something back. You know, it's it, it really dismays me the amount of money sloshing around in football. And I know players do they do in individual private things and um you know they they paid for one of the physios um hip operation last year which we did a story on so there's little things which sometimes don't get out and don't get reported they're not they're not like bad people but as a club I think it could all be harnessed especially in Newcastle a lot better of course I think Sam I think just just talking about that pay-per-view uh, discussion yeah. really 74 people it's been reported it's not been confirmed by well, anybody but it's been 74 people only pay for the West Brom Burnley game I find most interesting about it because um, as you know Johnny I'm quite a big boxing fan as well so obviously that model is quite common in boxing and there's only one reason why companies like Sky and BT don't announce pay-per-view numbers it's because yeah. they've done shite <laughs> And which is why yeah. they're not, which is why they've not commented on um, the numbers from the first weekend of Premier League pay per view, of which the coverage was woeful. Yeah, it was 
15 minutes beforehand, wasn't it? They went live and there was no... Yeah, really less, five, so what? I thought it was five and there was no pundit discussion beforehand and it's really, really, really poor. Yeah, That that would warrant a fiver, wouldn't it? Not like, for similar kind of... I mean, we yeah. had to pay a tenner for it for the Carabao Cup games that yeah. weren't yeah. televised. So that would probably warrant a fiver. £15. I mean, it's no wonder, Johnny, what was the number for West Brom? 74. It's not been confirmed, but there's been a few people that have said that it's 74 people paid for West Brom Burnley. And I'd imagine they're either diehard West Brom fans, diehard Burnley fans, or very, very diehard Premier League football fans. <laughs> yeah. 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 Wonder, I mean, they'll, not, they'll never really... The Premier League have said today they wouldn't release the figures for Newcastle because it's, you know, commercially sensitive and all that. So, you know, we'll have to... We'll probably have to guess, but, you know, I, I would have thought it'd be bigger than that. Some people would have looked at it, but... I mean, we were there. It was it wasn't a bad match actually, and yeah. But you do realise how good Man Man U are, and how quick and fit and and great on the counter attack they are. When one ball from Matter sticks Rashford through, and he's just a, he's just lightning. I mean, in in real life, to see that it's lightning. It's a, it was a yeah, and then that goes on to being a very lucky reporter and actually still being able to go to the games and see see live football. And that's another issue which needs addressing sharpish by the government in terms of getting fans back or getting a proportion of the fans back as quick as possible just so everyone can see a game because it's, it's miserable without fans. It really is. Can you see it happening this season or not? Well, I did a, I did a um, like the parliamentary committee with Oliver Dowden, who's the culture secretary, who's in charge of all this um, last week. Um, and it looks like it's at least till Christmas. And with the rates rising as they are, you know, you, you can't see them doing it before then. Um, and even then, you wonder whether, I mean, February, March time, maybe that's more realistic when the winter got through the winter, got through the Christmas spike because people meeting around Christmas might spike it. You think you think in maybe February, March um, is a time where they can get back in. So that'll be a full year without football fans in the, in the stadium, which for Newcastle is 24 million quid down the drain, um, hits the budget um, for Clubs like Arsenal, Man U, it's it's near 100 million, you know, 70, 80, 90. So it's, it's a lot of money they're, they're missing out on. Um, that's not the biggest concern. My biggest concern is getting fans back in there so they've got something nice to do on a on a, on a Saturday afternoon um, uh, and just to add a bit of atmosphere because it's, it's weird. You, you, every time Sam Maxim gets kicked, he's, he's like, he's been shot. He's like screaming <laughs> and, acting, and you can hear it. You know, <laughs> we need the fans in to drown that out. And then Steve Bruce, the, there's a really good heckle. We, we, we're like in the exec boxes back, uh, quite a way back, but we're pretty sure we heard Steve Bruce when it was at one all the other day shout at one of his players, hey, so and so, so and so, get at him, he's toilet. <laughs> Describing one of their players, we're pretty sure that's what he said, but we couldn't quite report it. But, and we don't know which man you player he meant, who was toilet. But uh, so it's really interesting hearing the, <laughs> the chance from the bench and the, the screaming and agony when people get kicked. So yeah, but we need fans back, definitely. You're right, yeah. Damn, um, that is. It's it's got to be getting fans back in is obviously the priority for. I think Premier League clubs. The, hopefully, like I think the government are thinking exactly the same thing. But it, I don't know. It just feels weird. Like I'm, obviously, I'm, we're getting used to it, watching. Obviously, you know, Simon's at the games, but we're getting used to obviously. Being able to watch it on the television or wherever to watch these games, but it's just not the same as it Sam. No, no, it's not. I mean, uh, when fans do come back as well, I mean, Johnny, you'll be you'll be there because you're on the ten year season ticket plan thing, aren't you? Yet. I don't know but, yet. Yeah, you're still paying, aren't you? I mean, yeah. <clears throat> I'm, I'm not. A, I'm not a season ticket holder because I can't. Me coming up from the Midlands seven, eight, nine times a season, whenever I can. I mean, God knows when the next time I'll be I'll be coming up. It's, it don't bear thinking about. It. To think the last game I was at St James's for was Norwich nil nil. <laughs> My God, yeah, I was. <laughs> yeah, I mean, but the thing is, if I could go and watch that on Saturday, would I? Would I take it? Absolutely, because it beats watching it on the telly, doesn't it? I saw someone. Someone put it was over. You guys put a picture of um, the video of the last was the last the last goal scored at St James's with the crowd. Was it Isaac Hayden? Yes, yeah, yeah, yes, I think it was. was yeah. On your account, yeah. And I watched that and heard the you know heard all the um, the, the cheering and how mad the crowd got. I had a tear in my eye actually <laughs> last week watching that. It was sad. 
it's really sad but uh, when you see what the fans actually bring to it and and the atmosphere that we're missing out on it's oh man but i went to um not this weekend last weekend i went to do a piece on North Shields in the Northern League um, who were playing North Allerton just to see what it was like with 150 fans in and all the hoops they jumped through and their, you know, their six documents and 50 pages of stuff they had to fill in to, just to get 150 in. And they wanted to get 300 in, but they, the rules were stopping them. So, um, but even that was nice. You had like eight nutters on the, in the ultras corner of North Shields, um, <laughs> you know, sitting there in the heart out and even that felt like you know like felt like St James's with 52,000 when you when you sat at games with, with no atmosphere at all and it's uh it was bizarre but yeah try non-league get you get you fixed by you, going to uh, you need to get to uh Newcastle women Simon they're on the they're on a cup run I mean, our our, yeah. our man Lee was there last week for the for the cup game. Eleven nil win, eleven uh, nil yeah. win over Blackburn. So, yeah. and we've uh, we've had the women's manager Becky Langley coming up on the show very soon as well, haven't we, Johnny? So you need to yeah. you need to get there. You need to go and support the I women's team. Yeah, yeah, it's, I will do that. Yeah. It's yeah. definitely worth a, a visit to go and see how their losses are getting on, of course. Yeah. But um, two last questions for you, Simon, before we wrap things up. The first one is a Rafa-orientated story. I just want to ask you what your relationship was like with Rafa Benitez because it seemed when he came in, obviously everyone was absolutely delighted over the moon because we thought we've got a manager that's won the Champions League. He's, he's managed Real Madrid the same season. And what was the relationship like with him? Because from an outsider, and obviously I never, never get the chance to meet him, but he just seemed someone that was just so football obsessed and had a vision to take Newcastle so much different to what the hierarchy wanted it to be. Is that the feeling that you got while reporting on him at his time at Newcastle? Uh, uh, completely, yeah. I mean, that brings a tear to me as well because, like, the, the the days where we'd have a, I mean, we we sometimes couldn't get home to get our copy written in time because. We'd have our press conference with him, 20 minutes, generous with his time, just like Bobby, a man with a plan, done it all, achieved everything. Well, not quite, not the international stuff, but, um, and then go off the record and he'd just tell stories and stories and stories and he'd meander off into Real Madrid and then Milan and the owner of this and when he lived in, uh, when he lived in Naples um, and stories he had there were just, I mean, just unbelievable. They were fantastic. And uh, you're right, he, he was he was a fab bloke. And the one thing about Rafa was you knew it was like almost his life. He was so serious about it, and you would just trust him. You would, you, you would. I know he, he played. The downside is he, the hierarchy thinks he, most clubs think he plays a lot of games and he's chiding them and prodding them. And but that's kind of the manager's job and it's the chief exec's job to say no, you can't afford it. Um, but in terms of a journalistically, he was he was one of the best. He he, he was. God, I mean, you can ask him. He was like a world football figure at Newcastle, you know. And we were talking him in it's the championship as well, you know, his first year. And the more the more he got to trust us, the more he would just chat about his whole life in football and stuff. I mean, if we recorded them all, it would be like gold dust, you know. Um, <laughs> but we didn't. <laughs> um, he was great, and, and he and he, but he, he did have like kind of that long term. You're right; he had that long term vision where he wanted to do this and that with the academy. And the academy doesn't fix things immediately, or maybe even over three or four years, but it puts a club on a certain footing. Um, and the rebuilding the training ground, I mean, the training ground's not that bad, but it, it obviously needs, a, it needs to look fancier if you're trying to attract international players who are used to, like, really, really great, you know, steel buildings and all that kind of stuff. Um, and you would just think, yeah, I trust him, but... Uh, the, the other side, the other side of the coin is you could see if you were dealing with them on a day to day basis, and it was, um, and he was asking for stuff, and you couldn't deliver it, and you know you would you would it might get a bit wearing, you know the the intensity of Rafa Benitez, I think some people can't, can't deal with in football, or that it's a a thing which lasts two two three years, and then you're worn out, <laughs> you're worn out with him because he's demanding so much, and he wants to wants to press on, but. Um, yeah, it's such. I mean, it's an enormous, enormous pity that he didn't stay on, and I, he can't be happy in China. You know, it's, that's not challenging. It's not fulfilling him. He's not got a good team. Um, he's not to tell the goalkeepers how to stand, even you know, like basic stuff. Um, and yeah, it'd be great. It'd be great if he came back. And I always thought of the takeover went through. Um, I think Steve Bruce thought he was he was toast if it if it had gone through, and he would he would be gone. Um, and then he had to get his head back on in the summer when it all collapsed. Um, 
but I, I thought that they might they would might bring Rafa back. I mean, certainly the people that lined up behind the scenes were were like that with Rafa, you know, like you know, so close to Rafa, director of football. That kind of those figures were were all lined up to come in, and it would it would just be bizarre if they had brought brought in anyone but but Rafa again. So and I know Pochettino was mentioned as well, but I thought he might that you know, might be a bit out of reach for, for uh, he might be a bit out of reach for the for the club in terms of what what they had to spend and. But Rafa, with that kind of money that they were going to give, which you know, was it was it two hundred fifty million over five years? I think they said when when it collapsed, and give that to Rafa to build a club. And yeah, I mean, I, I think I think he'd have done a great job. And it's it's a it is a great pity he's gone. It is um, much as we kind of like Steve Bruce as a bloke, you know, Rafa's you know. He's, he's won the Champions League. He's you know been at Real Madrid, managed Ronaldo. You know, <laughs> ridiculous stuff like that. I mean, he, he was fab. He yeah, was fab. I'm glad to hear. If just that was a personal question for myself, but I'm very glad to hear that. Yeah. Um, Sam, any final questions before we have the last? I'll give you the last question. No, I was just made me think about Rafa actually because I can imagine him. He's got form for being fairly difficult for the the ownership of clubs. We saw it at Liverpool and. But I'd just like to see him with the players even that we've got now. I mean, if he would have just been backed to get... I mean, if he wanted Ryan Fraser when Rafa was at Newcastle, you'd be talking 30, 35 million, wouldn't you? But yeah. to get him on a free and to get him up there with Callum Wilson, Almir on ASM, you'd love to see Rafa at that, uh, in charge of that team. I th- and I think that's the big difference with, with Rafa and what some kind of national pundits don't get is that oh a line we often hear is oh um, if if Rafa came up with that performance you'd be calling him a genius, and I think the difference between that is you could see with Rafa clearly even though he was defensive on occasions you could see there was a clear plan, mm-hmm. a, a clear distinct plan. But do you think it's key, Simon, that a manager kind of has to get on with Mike Ashley to kind of make him release those funds, and that's what kind of was Rafa's downfall ultimately. Yeah, I think um I think it takes a certain I mean we've we've kind of followed it actually from afar and we've spoken to people who have worked really closely with him, like phone calls all the time and um some at the club, some not. Uh and it, you do he does kind of go English, doesn't he? And Rafa was a departure. So like Steve McLaren came in, thought thought that could work. Um but I think Bruce does. <laughs> that's an annoying picture. Um, <laughs> sorry behind that. Um, I come yeah. prepared. Yeah, don't mention, <laughs> don't mention preferred media partnerships on that day or anything. Because um, <laughs> that's why I was sitting in that, in that picture. <laughs> that's all blown over by now. Um, but yeah, it, it does seem like that actually uh, kind, of, kind of gets on with English managers or UK managers and... I, I know I went. I walked actually. I walked the dog one day and, and um, passed a hotel, uh, and it was during last January transfer window when they were ready to release thirty-five million for Samari and they'd made the bid, and, and they were in there most of the day, like till uh, sort of mid-afternoon, early afternoon, from from early in the morning, and Bruce was there and Ashley was there, and that kind of I'm not sure that kind of like time was devoted by Ashley to other managers. I I, I think. He said yes to transfers, but he did, certainly didn't come up to Newcastle and have the full full whack of, t- of talks, you know, and that happened last January. So Steve Bruce has got something. I think because he's a people person, he knows how to talk um, Talk to Ashley. He wants value and Bruce will, Bruce will not want to waste money like Rafa didn't. I mean, I, well, didn't want to. Mutu and et cetera is not great. But, um, yeah, so I think uh, you've got to be a certain person, type of person to get on with Ashley. Um and that does bring trust, and it does bring, um, you know, bring, brings transfer funds. No, no doubt about it. I mean, Bruce has got got transfer funds out of him. Mind you, it's not, uh, and that's one of the other things that people outside the region need to understand as well. It, it's this transfers that they've done this year. I'm not Mike actually being generous. It's the club spending the money that the club generates because it's it's there's basically like a gap between the income of 100, 180 million turnover and then 120 million wage bill, and somewhere in between there's that like. 30, 40 million plus wages to spend every every year if they stay in the Premier League now. So that's the kind of money that they can invest post pre pandemic. It's probably gone down for next year, but um, that's the kind of money that's in, in this club system, which they can invest. So it's not Ashley's generosity, it's just fan TV generated money that they're putting back in the club. 
Uh, finally, Simon, uh, you've seen Milan, you've seen Benfica, you've seen St. James's Park, you've seen all sorts covering Newcastle over the last 20 years or just more or less 20 years. Yeah. What has been the standout moment? It hasn't happened yet. <laughs> but yeah, yeah. <laughs> I hope it hasn't happened yet. And we all, I mean, there's like everyone hope it hasn't happened yet because none of us were alive and not many of us were alive when they won, won a cup. Um, God, the standout moment, a favourite game. It, it probably was Milan. And that, that, and that like 10 minutes when, God, when, when Robert was bombing up the line, flinging crosses over Shearer and you just one goal would have got them to the point where they could have qualified to what was it the semi-final? I can't remember what the format was, but it was way deep into the you know last eight or something ridiculous like that of the, of the European. It was probably Milan or Feyenoord was just incredible oh. as well. That Feyenoord game where they were down and out, and then people were scoring elsewhere. Kiev was scoring. I can't remember who else was in the group, but um, Newcastle behind this, you know, and it, it was that was. It, we did it in the next day in the paper. We did like a timetable of how many times the group had changed. And it was like ten times. You know, you guys were bottom, then they were third bottom, then they were second, then they were third, then they were, they were top. And then, you know, it was it was one of those. That was a special night. I mean, that that was mental. Um, and all those European trips were were pretty were pretty special. Benfica, they were pretty close to getting a result there, weren't they? Did CC? I can't remember what happened now, but it's just like the. I don't, all I remember from Benfica is it was a it was a great trip. There's loads of fans around. And then that eagle started flying around the flying around the stadium, really close to the to the press box. And uh, you know, there's little things like that. And, and after the UEFA Cup in the semi-final in Marseille, um, there was a fire in the uh, in the moat around the stadium, which caused a bit of chaos. We, um, the, the match was mad. The fans there were mad. Olympiacos fans were mad. Uh, after that semi-final at Marseille. Drogba burst into the press room because he played for Marseille then. He destroyed Newcastle with his bottle of Man of the Match champagne, looked at the English journalist and just sprayed up with it. Just drenched us with it. <laughs> All our computers were like fizzing with champagne. Um, and we were going, get out, <laughs> clear off your arse. You know? <laughs> <laughs> like, announcing himself to the English media and came to Chelsea the next year, I think. So that, 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 those little moments stand out like that, you know, like special memories, like not even the football sometimes, but kind of special stuff like that, which were, which was, which was great. And we need more fans, need more journalists, need more of that. We all love the club and care about it. And it's the one thing that gives us a bit of mission and passion and excitement in our lives. And we're all craving that at the minute. We desperately need it back. <laughs> not only the, the club being that, but just getting back into, into a game and seeing a goal, you know, that's what you, it's, it's tough times and I hope everyone's getting through it all right. Of course, again, all I wish is to everybody that's been affected by the coronavirus uh, outbreak. But Simon, I don't think I could have finished on a better subject than talking about Champions League and your UEFA Cup memories of the early 2000s. Like, I think I could talk about that all day. But Simon, it has been an absolute pleasure to chat with uh, you really, about all things. Really enjoyed it, guys. Really enjoyed it. It's been smashing. It's been really good. Fantastic. Sam? What can we say? Uh, we could have done another two or three hours, couldn't we? Easily, easily. Just on joking here. <laughs> yeah, no, that was oh, superb. I was, yeah, that, that hour again has just absolutely flown by, hasn't it? Of course. Again, all this podcast will be available on Spotify, iTunes. Again, if you can give us a review, if you want a particular person, we'll try our best to get that person on the podcast but if you've been watching on youtube if you can give it a like that would be greatly appreciated as well but for myself sam milner and of course simon bird we'll see you all very very soon cheers guys